0: Thank you for taking that. Well, good morning, everyone. I like to get close to you. They think I'm leaving. That's what they're saying. You're leaving. No, I'm not. Uh, It's Mother's Day. I know that that is a difficult day for some people, and I'm usually praying over that. But, um, Ryan, you did such a good job. We're all prayed up. I'm going to pray at the end, though, this time, if I may, and uh, I often ask all the women in the room to stand, and so I'm going to do that at the end, if you wouldn't mind. I thought today we would do something a a little bit different. My Mother's Day gift uh, to my wife was, she said, I want to marry a younger man. (laughs) So I became instantly younger since yesterday, because my... Yeah, I know. Now I look like a Christian. I know, I get it. So. Not at all. So our, our uh, message today is a little bit different. What I thought I would do is uh, tell a story, uh, a story of a nice Jewish girl. And uh, you probably figured it out because of the, uh, the title, A Star is Born. And the, the reference, of course, is, uh, let's see, Esther. Esther chapter 4 is where we're going to go, and if you want to follow along when I start reading from that passage, it's the little black book in in the seats in front of you, not the hymn book. That that won't help you, but the black Bible there, you can find uh, page 512, actually 513 is where we'll be going, chapter 4 of the book of Esther. And I will not tolerate my granddaughter competing with me. Oh, yes, I will. I probably will. And because... um, there are two days in the year that I struggle a little bit getting ready to preach, to be candid. And uh, one is, anybody want to guess what the first, besides today, obviously I'm bringing this up because of today. What's the other one? No, I love Father's Day. I can pick on men all day. That's fine. What? How did you know that? You're, you have an inside connection. Easter, you know why? Because as believers, we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus every week, Right. He's a living Savior. That's a given. And so by the time you get to Easter and, and, and some churches really save all of that, and it's like, what else could be said about the resurrection? But last year, uh, this past year, we celebrated Easter, and I guess I succeeded in saying a few things about the resurrection that were helpful. And that's my only intention today, that even though, depending on your circumstances today... Some of us are missing our moms. Some of us are getting ready to say goodbye to our moms. One of our sisters is doing that right now. Uh, Some wish they were moms. Some have been defrauded as moms. All kinds of uh, pain connected uh, with today, as well as joys and celebrations, right? And so uh, because of that, uh, my hope today is that I might just edify and encourage you and speak some life to you from a story out of the Old Testament, Okay, And it's about a woman. And so this really should be Woman's Day, if you will. And uh, we want to look at that. Let me just show you a passage of Scripture. I love to quote everyone. Oh, you know what? i got to press my buttons today. Touch my button. Anyway, there you go. For whatever was written in earlier times... Paul says in the book of Romans, was written for our instruction that through perseverance, the endurance, that's what that means, the endurance and the encouragement, the life speak of the scriptures, we might have hope. You can't live without hope. Psychologists will tell you the same thing. It has nothing to do with Christianity. It's just hard to live without hope, without some expectation of a better day ahead. So, stories in the scripture, they're designed to give us hope. They're designed to speak life to us. And so, today, I'm talking about A Star Is Born. I'm not talking about a film that's being remade for the third time this year. 1937, it was uh, Janet Gaynor. In 1976, it was Barbara Streisand. And now it's going to be Lady Gaga. Oh, I never miss it. Anyway, (laughs) it's not about a rock star who uh, falls from grace and another rising star. That's not what it's about. And uh, speaking of movies, I know that women have been in the forefront this year with Gal Gadot and Wonder Woman. I suppose they talk about powerful women. I'm not quite sure how a fantasy about Amazonians uh, does that. But anyway, there's been this rise of power and uh, maybe it's the state of a. This is not a pun. Maybe it's the state of affairs that we're living in today, the miserable condition of our culture, the hashtag Me Too world that we're in, the fall of our America's dad, Mr. Cosby. Now, Mr. Schneiderman has been uh, put on the grill. Maybe it's because of the circumstances in the world today that I thought about the empowerment of women from God's perspective. You know, if you're in another country, uh, I think about anybody ever seen that? My name is Malala. You know, this dear girl who had acid thrown in her face simply because she was going to school in the wrong culture. The world is not always a very nice place. America has some of the greatest freedoms ever. We don't always appreciate it, but people are challenged and women are challenged all around the world at this very moment. I just think the story of Esther is a great encouragement for all of us. So we're going to talk about it, if we could. And I want to begin, if you're a note taker, I am uh, just going to give you a heads up that I'm going to switch the verses. As you read your way down, I'll read Esther after I read the Jeremiah text. You'll see why as we work our way through. But I want to begin with the story, the background. How did all of this come to be? And why did I pick the title, A Star is Born? Because I can. But also because if you know anything about the book of Esther, there are two primary heroes in this book. One, and by the way, those of you are in the Daily Bible, you haven't gotten here yet. Unless you're really spiritual and you're reading way ahead. Like me. <laughs> That's a joke. <laughs> but I am. I, I've been through it already. It's a great story. The two heroes are Esther and her cousin, who is a surrogate father because he's older. Mordecai. Big name in the text. Those are the heroes. The story behind it is this young lady named Hadassah. That's her Hebrew name. I always think of My Son, the Nut, the album by uh, Alan Sherman. Anybody remember Alan Sherman? You've got to be older to remember Alan Sherman. He's the one that sang, hello, mudda, hello, fada, here I am in Camp Granada. And in one of his songs, he says, ladies of Hadassah, that's like the uh, Harmony Helpers, sing with me. Ladies of Hadassah. That would be in a Jewish culture because Hadassah is the name of Esther in Hebrew. But her Persian name is Estare. A star. That's her name. And she really does become a star in this story. They're in exile. The children of Israel, as you've been reading have been under the blessing of God. They said, if you'll do, God said to them, if you'll just follow my laws and commands, whatever you do, I will bless you. I will give you the promised land. I will bless your crops. I will bless your herds. I will bless your childbearing. I'll bless everything. You'll have so much blessing, you won't be able to contain it. All you have to do is honor me. That's too hard, isn't it? And it is. For us as fallen beings, that's what happened. They rebelled, and the next thing you know, as time went on, they go into exile to Babylon. I think most of you know a little bit about that story. If not, that's what the Old Testament account is. And in that exile, there are several famous personages who come to the fore. Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther, as well as another big name, Daniel. All of them went into exile and became People of distinction in terms of the history in the Babylonian, now later the Medo-Persian culture. By the way, it's just fascinating to me because have you ever noticed that when everything's going good, we're really kind of happy and as soon as things go bad, we start yelling at God. You ever notice that? Immediately get angry with him. Don't say thank you as much as we should, but we certainly do complain. It's certainly true, as, I, as I've talked with people and they were starting to plow through the daily Bible and look at the, the judgments of God and his holiness and his, his, um, there is such a thing as his wrath, his uh, settled disposition against sin, because sin does what to us? It kills us. Sin brings death on multiple levels, not just physical. Well, I did that sin and I didn't die. Oh, yes, you did. You're dying in some way sin brings death. So that's why God has a settled disposition. It's bad for your health in every way. And so uh, he said, you have to avoid these things. And when people read the Old Testament, they go, my, that seems awfully harsh. It's very interesting, depending on the person. One person says, it seems like as soon as something goes wrong, bam. Then I hear from another person and they say, Gee, the way I read it was, God says, "Please stop doing that, please stop doing that, please stop doing that, please stop doing. It. Please stop doing. Hi, hey, OK. Bam. Depends on how we perceive our Father in heaven. By the way, in our world, moms and dads that was the invention God had to bring us here, right? That's why we celebrate Mother's Day, Father's Day. Without Mom and Dad, we wouldn't be here. That's obvious. And those two individuals shape our view of the ultimate authority in heaven more than anything next to the scripture if we saturate ourselves in it. Okay? More than anything else. It helps us understand why people have a wrong view of God because they've experienced such bad modeling of what the nature of a good loving father is like and a good loving mother as well. By the way, both of those things are tied up together. So, the children of Israel have gone into exile. By the way, uh, you're going to see under the lesson there that there is painful and pleasant. The fill in is providence. The providence of God. The things that we have to live through. These people go into exile. Think about the process of going into exile it meant war. Everything that happens in a war is pretty ugly, it's a lot of pain involved. Uh, Don't want to go into all the details here on Mother's Day morning, but you can imagine. I remember if those of you have uh, studied at all World War II or any of the great wars, I remember a picture of um, France, Paris, when the Nazis were taking occupation. And there's a man, I believe as I remember it, he's wearing a suit. He's standing on the edge of the road while all the enemy troops are coming in and tears are running down his face. Just running. It's a, it's a classic photograph because he knows look where we have fallen from, look what we have lost, look what we're about to inherit. He understood that there's pain involved in this. And the children of Israel had to go through that as they went off into exile. Yet at the same time, some good things come their way as they go into exile. And by the way, the other name I could have for this uh, title today is What's a Nice Jewish Girl Like You Doing in a Place Like This? (laughs) Because what happens is they go into exile, and as was the custom of the Medo-Persian Empire, to take some of the scholars and scribes, that is the people with education, with PhDs, some of the religious leaders, to draw them into the cabinet, if you will, of the presidency, because those people would bring a lifting effect to their administration. So that's exactly what they did. Daniel was one. Mordecai becomes one, as best as we know. We know at the end of the story he does, but we think even earlier on he may be already one of the political players. And Nehemiah was another one who became a right-hand man to the king. Cup heir to the king was a very trusted private council position. And so all of these men had risen to certain places. And now this girl gets to rise. And it's not a happy story. How many of you ever read Esther? Not too many, right? It's kind of gritty, you know, the Christians, I think, put out a nice movie, One Night with the King, right? Any of, any of you see it? I didn't. Uh, I kind of knew where it was going. The story, as I took a scan of it, is that somehow she gets a chance to fall in love with the king. I don't think it really went like that. It was kind of ugly. What happened was, the king at the time, Ahasuerus, is throwing a big party. You know, they had all this wealth. Have you noticed that in government... Power leads to corruption. Sometimes, has anybody ever noticed that? <laughs> has any? I mean, can anybody think of any modern example? No, don't bother. It's endless, is it not? Especially what happens in offices of great power. Same thing. So, Ahasuerus, who's also Xerxes the first, probably historically throwing a big party showing off little military parades you know showing all his medals getting drunk having a great time says you know my wife is a babe i want her to come out in her dancing outfit so all my nobles can see her and she says not on your life what in that culture liberation was unheard of just to be blunt next thing you know there's a crisis what should i do all of his counselors say, oh, man, if this goes on, we're going to have all kinds of chaos. You can't tolerate it. She should be deposed as queen, so she is. What are we going to do now? We need another queen. And so there's this very ghastly thing to our culture where the, the nobles say, go out among your people, find the prettiest girls, bring them in, and whichever one the king likes, he'll make her the queen. But there's a little catch. This is really seedy. This would be an R-rated movie. The movie they did was general audience, I think, or something. PG. It was PG. It wouldn't be. Because basically, he would visit with every woman for the night. The next day, she would go into the harem. Now, the upside of that in Providence is everyone is taken care of. You're living like royalty from that day on. And in a culture where it's life and death survival, some of that might have been goodness. But... Esther gets included in that. What a horrible situation to have to go through. Does everybody hear what I'm saying? It's horrible. And God in his providence arranges that she gets selected to be the queen. He doesn't even know who she is. He doesn't know that she's Jewish, doesn't know anything about it, but that's what occurs. And that's the first part of the story. And I want to stop there because we have to Uh, build up as the plot thickens in this story. The first thing is they have been sent to this place of exile. It's not supposed to be a wonderful experience. It's punishment. It's exile from the promised land that God uh, had promised them, and they are living as servants of a foreign king. They can't... uh, Leave town if they want to, and they have no power. It was a life and death issue. If Esther is taken into the, uh, the royal harem, she has no choice either to do so or to be put to death. No choice. What a wonderful world. Not so much. Let me just show you something that the scripture says. God was pleading with his people to turn back to him, and they wouldn't do it. And so he sent prophets to them. And one of them, you've heard of his name. His name was Jeremiah. And he said to Jeremiah, tell my people this. I'm sending you into exile. And when you go into exile, I'm telling you, settle down. Stop fighting it because you're not going to win this fight. You're going to lose to the Babylonians. You're going to lose to the Persians. You are going into exile. So you better cooperate or you're going to make it worse for yourself. Go there. Settle down, find sons and daughters, your wives, and let them get married. Make houses, make farms, plant vineyards, plant crops, you know, open businesses. And if you do, I'm going to bless you because you're submitting to my sovereign discipline. And here's the verse that comes up that I love, and God has used this in my life. I don't know if he's ever used it for you. He says this, Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will have welfare. Wow. Anybody ever been sent where you didn't want to go? I have. Seek the welfare of the city I've sent you to and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will have welfare. I'm going to bless you. Even in that painful exile, there will be a pleasant side of providence. Does anybody in the room, have you grown in your faith in Jesus? There's something liberating about this. It's freeing to know that God is good and that he's sovereign. He's good and he's sovereign. Okay? All things work together for good, right? Anybody know that one in Romans? Yeah, for those who are called according to his purpose, he's working things for his good and his his honor and your good, even if you don't see it. There's no better picture of it than the crucifixion of Jesus, wouldn't you agree? Here's evil men crucifying an innocent man. It says in the scripture that he allowed the wickedness of man to accomplish his purpose because if Jesus hadn't died, we'd all be paying for our sins ourselves. I hope you're here today and you've come to rest in the forgiveness of God through the person of Jesus, in his sovereignty, in his painful and pleasant providence. That's what providence is God working everything toward an appointed end. We're not out of control. I do get up in the morning and read the newspaper and say, We are out of control, but we're not. Aren't you glad? We're really not. Some days it feels like it, but we're really not. So this terrible circumstance of going into exile and then uh, Esther having to be dragged into the, uh, the, the royal precincts, if you will, turns to a sudden positive that she becomes this unknown, if you will, Jewish girl, becomes the queen in Persia. Can you imagine I mean, maybe you've noticed wives have influence over the guys they're married to. Maybe you've noticed that. I surely have noticed that. The rest of you need to come talk to me. I don't know why you're so quiet. We definitely have an influence. This profound place of influence comes out of this rather ugly background. God says, seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will have welfare. Mordecai took it to heart. One day, he's working. I, he had some kind of lower-level job in the administration. He used to sit at the king's gate. And he, when, when Esther got taken in, he would sit at the harem gate all the time to make sure she was okay. He would keep tabs on her. He was her surrogate father, if you will, because her parents had died. He was older. He was a cousin, but he raised her and he taught her well in biblical thinking. He really did. And one day he's sitting at the King's Gate and he overhears two guys saying, haven't you had enough of this new president? I mean, this guy's a jerk. Can you imagine people talking like that uh, under a government? You know, we, we ought to take this guy out. Yeah, I know some, I know a guy. I know a guy. Now, Mordecai, think about this for a minute. Mordecai is a Jew who's been taken into exile. Wouldn't you like the king to get murdered? Maybe Mordecai knows what God means in this verse. Seek the welfare of the city to which I've sent you. And so, he goes and sends a message to Esther and said, You need to know. These guys are going to assassinate your husband. (laughs) She tells. They find out. It's true. They get hung. Mordecai becomes a little hero there, seeking the welfare of the city where he was sent to. By the way... When the children of Israel finally have the next promise of God, I will remember you in exile because I'm a God who keeps my promises. I make a covenant with you. I'm going to bring you back to the promised land after I discipline you. So 70 years later, they come back. When they come back, most of the Jews stay in exile. Why? Because it's pleasant. They've got business. I got a business going here. I can't leave now. The stock market's just about ready to go up. I'm not leaving town. Not leaving Susa. And so they stay. They choose not to leave. But a few did because they knew God had plans for Jerusalem. So there was pain, but there was also a pleasant side of it. It was a good life for them once they settled in, and they lived and developed businesses and homes and families. And it all went well. There's an expression that's kind of corny. It says, bloom where you're planted, right? Pray for this city. Pray for where you are. And in this particular case... Esther has been brought to a place where she is going to have profound influence that she doesn't even know about. The right time, the right place, the right circumstances. And can I just say something to you? I hope this speaks life. You also are in the right time, the right place, and the right circumstances. You have influence as well somewhere. You have to look around at your circle there was a Christian uh, artist that we had uh, sing up at our uh, church up north, uh, named Jason Harrod. He's on the internet. If you click on his web, his his my favorite song that he does pops up right away. But one of the songs he sings is because he's you know he's one of those artsy people. He's got a little bit of melancholy in his bones, you know. And he was talking about in one song he's singing about being in a particular place, a particular scene that I'm not always sure I fit in here. But as he was sitting at the ocean, uh, he was was worshiping the Lord and pondering the beauty that God has made. And there's a line that comes in there that has haunted me. Because he says, here's beauty that I've never known. I am carefully placed here, not some castaway. Whoa. I've been carefully placed here, not some castaway. And I'm hungry and aching for my home. And I'm waiting for my day. Hope, my day. I've been carefully placed here. It's not an accident. There's some influence, some time, place, and status God has given me for some reason. And he's done the same for you. I don't know whether it's simply influencing your family. I don't know if it's having an impact in your neighborhood or where you work or your church or politics. I don't know what it is. You have to figure that out, not me. I have to take care of me. That's enough of a problem right there. But we do rest under the providence of God. He's got us carefully placed here for such a time as this, right? Let's see how the plot thickens. Here's what it tells us. In the book of Esther, by the fourth chapter, there's a character named Haman. I'll just be blunt. He is a Hitler personality. He's called Haman the Agagite. Agag, Agag. Does that ring a bell for anybody? Anybody a Bible student? Anybody remember the name Agag? Saul was supposed to kill him, right? The the Amalekites' king was named Agag. The Amalekites were the worst enemy the Jews had ever encountered. They were going from uh, um, Egypt to the Promised Land, and on the way, the Amalekites viciously attacked them. God said, um, I I want you to execute judgment on these people. And it wasn't complete in Saul's day. But Agag is probably one of, uh, Agag was the king, and one of his ancestors down the road is probably, most Jewish writers think, Haman. Maybe. Probably. There's some kind of tension there because Mordecai, who's willing to save the king, is not willing to honor Haman when he becomes the grand vizier. Yeah? He's the, uh, what do they call it in England? What, is, what, is, what was Churchill? What? Minister? Prime minister. That's it. Prime minister. Is that right? Did I say it right? Yes, he's the prime minister. He's not about to bow down to this guy. And Haman sees it, and Haman starts to hate not just Mordecai, but all of his people. So Haman goes to the king. They're buddies. They drink a lot together. You know, bad decisions are made when you drink a lot together. And he says, you know, there's a people among your, uh, your population that aren't doing you any good. You know, they have different laws. You know, they, they cheat on their income taxes. By the way, he was lying. He makes up some stuff. It's really not in your best interest, O king, to tolerate them. And you know what? I'd like to help you out because I'm such a magnanimous person. I want to help you out so much, I'm willing to give you a half a million dollars into the royal treasury or a million dollars uh, for the privilege of dealing with your problem. Does this ring any bells? Does this sound anything like history in the last hundred years? This, This particular people group is a problem. We have to automatically hate them, get rid of them. I wish, I wish it was only once, but genocide has been a problem with the human race because of our evil that Jesus came to rescue us from. This is very close to home in terms of the history of, uh, of Europe in the last century. And so the king gives him permission. And uh, by the way, out of this event that we're about to describe comes a great Jewish holiday. It's called Purim. Purim. And uh, it was just celebrated back at the end of February into March. And uh, what it means is, in Persian, is lots. And I'm too pure to have dice in my home, so I couldn't bring dice as an illustration. But basically, that was a joke. Stop laughing at me. okay? (laughs) Basically, what he did was, we need to pick a day to have this activity of genocide. And so he flips a coin. Heads! You lose. Here's the day. And that's what happened. They picked a day. The king put his royal stamp on it. If you've ever heard the expression, we're losing a lot of our idioms in English today. The law of the Medes and the Persians. If your mom said, You are going to your room, and that's the law of the Medes and the Persians, it means it cannot be altered. And so he puts his imprimatur on that agreement and means it cannot be altered. The Jews are going to be annihilated throughout the Persian Empire on a certain day. And here's where the drama picks up. Mordecai finds out about it, if you will turn in your Bible now, to chapter 4. She has a messenger that's been assigned to her, a leader behind the scenes in the cabinet named Hathak. He came back and related Mordecai's words to Esther. He's telling her, Do you realize that we've been sold to be annihilated? Then Esther spoke to Hathach and ordered him to reply to Mordecai, All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that for any man or woman who comes to the king, to the inner court who is not summoned, has but one law, that he be put to death, unless the king holds out to him the golden scepter, so that he may live. And I have not been summoned to come to the king for these 30 days. Yikes. Mordecai says, Look, you're married to the king. You need to plead for your people. Millions of people out there in the Persian Empire are going to lose their lives needlessly. Well, I haven't been summoned. They related Esther's words to Mordecai, and Mordecai speaks wisely. Verse 13, Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, Don't imagine that you and the king's palace can escape any more than all the Jews. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place, and you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not attained to royalty for such a time as this famous line right for such a time as this you're carefully placed here you're not some castaway for such a time as this well there's the tension the, the plot thickens she manages to become queen that seedy opening story turns out good she's living the life anyone she has influence over her relatives family are set if you will until now all of a sudden, things are taking a negative, negative turn, and the suspense in the uh, story is heightened. <clears throat> what is the issue? What is the issue? I mean, today, what is the issue? I think about this. Is it life? You know, life and death? Um, there are those who rise to the occasion for this time to help women struggle through the issue of keeping life is it gender we're living in a day of confusion is that the issue is it human trafficking that's one that particularly irritates me and I uh, I like to contribute to the relief of it and there are people who have risen up they said something has to be done about this and they rise to the occasion is it the care for orphans? Whatever the point of crisis, I don't know what it particularly is. Those are big issues. With Esther, it's a really big, big issue. Most of us will not have to face that kind of a challenge, right? Most of us will not have to. But it is out there. I... Um, I was fascinated by um, one of the hearings that happened when some of the elections were happening a while back, and I don't like to pick on any particular candidates or politicians by name one way or the other, but there's no way to get around this story and not tell who it was, okay? So I'm just being candid about that. It's not to to diss anybody, but... um, A while back, I heard a sermon and they used this video clip and so I had my kids Google and find it for me because I'm a little bit technologically challenged like a lot of us with gray hair and I couldn't find it but we found it and it was the interviews, the hearings that were going on to appoint a deputy director of finance in one of our uh, departments of the federal government and the candidate was a man named Vogt who... As a born-again believer who had um, graduated from one of the evangelical schools and had written some theological statements to defend those schools in terms of their own context and as he 's being interviewed, um, one of our uh, Senate, uh, Mr. Sanders was going after him saying, "What do you believe about?" Muslims and these groups about where they go after they die. Did you hear what I just said? Where they go after they die. In other words, is there a heaven? Is there a hell? I know this is a shock to most of the media today, but the Christian has always believed for 2,000 years there's a heaven and a hell. And that there's only one way. To heaven, I know it's politically incorrect. God really didn't care whether you liked it. He provided Jesus to rescue us. So for telling the truth, this man, this brother, was berated as unfit in an American culture because of what he believes is going to happen in eternity. Since when does our government legislate our views on eternity? It was completely sick and out of order. And the thing that was most surprising to me was nobody stood up and said, you are completely out of order. Are you out of your mind? If he believes in UFOs and that we need to spend some federal dollars to make a landing pad for the aliens to visit with us, he'd probably approve it. But in this case, no. That's wrong. It's just wrong from, a, from the freedoms that we have. It was just wrong. But my point is this. Nothing has really changed. There are times when I have to stand where I must stand, whatever the consequence must be. I don't know where it all shook out. He may not have gotten it. But at least he, he told the truth, told what he believed, and stood on it. The story continues with this wonderful section And my second half is, first, there's painful but also pleasant providence. We always look forward to a preferred future. But there's also the answer in Esther's behavior of prevailing and purposeful prayer. Look, if you would, with me at uh, the next section. By the way, did I, uh, I? I skipped all my screens. Forget all that. I already read that. I'm bored. I'm sick of that. Let me back up one. In the book of Daniel, there's a passage about the end times. I know a lot of us—it's uh, not as as much of a, a heated subject as it used to be. But anybody like—if Jesus came today, that'd be okay with me. Yeah, yeah right. That'd <laughs> be okay. That'd be good. Bring it all to an end. But in those days that lead up to his second coming, there will be difficult times, especially for the saints. And the scripture tells us in the book of Daniel, he's speaking a prophetic word, and he's saying that there's an individual, a person that's referred to in Revelation as the Antichrist, it's going to make life really hard for everybody. He's going to do all kinds of wicked, wicked things. But... Here's the second half of the verse in Daniel chapter 11, verse 32. The people who know their God will display strength and take action. Isn't that a great verse? I love this verse. The people who know their God will display strength and take action. The King James on this one I actually like better. Yes, you heard me say that. Here it is. The people who do know their God shall be strong and do exploits. I like that even better, right? They don't just take action. They do exploits, like Hercules, you know, exploits. I like that. They will prevail. The word be strong is they will have prevailing power and they will act. They'll rise up and act. There'll be a point where enough's enough. I take action. So that brings us to the last portion, if you will, of uh, my story here. Esther told them finally when she heard that word, if you, don't, if you don't realize maybe you've been brought up to be royalty for such a time as this, you either grab it now or we're all dead. How would you like to be in that position? It's all on you today, right now. Esther told them, Okay, I get it. Tell Mordecai, go assemble all the Jews who are found in Susa, fast for me and do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my maidens also will fast in the same way. This chick had chutzpah. That's the word. We're going to fast and pray, thus I will go into the king, which is not according to the law, and if I perish, I perish. Major Ian Thomas wrote a book on the deeper life, walking with Jesus. It's really the center of our spiritual life. If I perish, I perish. I want to do God's will. I don't care what the consequences are. Let it rip. Do your worst. Yeah, you're... So Mordecai went away and did just as Esther had commanded him. Just an interesting thing about the book of Esther. God is not mentioned once in the book of Esther. Did you know that? Even here where they're praying. Praying fast. We're going to fast. We're going to pray. What does that mean? We're going to seek God with all our might. He's there, all right. His name just isn't mentioned. It's just a curious thing because God is speaking about, through this book, painful and pleasant providence. The hidden hand of God behind the scenes. And then those moments where you're carefully placed here and God said, now is the time. You need to rise up. Now is the time. So, she says, it's not according to the law. You know, it was a very capricious. We didn't have laws governing us like we do. And some of our laws fail us at times, don't they? I'd love to say that America's full of justice, but it's not completely, is it? Still one of the best countries in the world to live, wouldn't you say? I mean, we've got rights and freedoms that these people didn't have. Nehemiah is serving the king. He's depressed because his homeland, Jerusalem, is a wreck. He's the right-hand guy, confident. When Those kings, they were despots. They were, they were you know, life and death. You don't rain on their parade, baby. He comes in one day, brings his drink to the king... Here, and the king looks at him and says, what's wrong with you? Anybody ever read it? He said, so I prayed. Get it? I don't know if he did, but it was something like that because he was like, so I prayed. And the reason he prayed is the guy could say, you're raining on my parade. Get out of here. Cut his head off. That's how literal it would be. And that's why she's saying this is not like, oh, I'm just too nervous to go in there. That's not what's going on. It's literal If he doesn't extend that scepter, I'm dead. And so she says, I will go into the king. It's not according to the law, but if I perish, I perish. And so off went Mordecai, and they had a prayer meeting that was pretty intense. Very intense, because their lives were at stake. I know you all want to know the end of the story. So here's the end of the story. She does pray like crazy. Then she talks to the king. She goes in. And thank God, he extends the scepter. He said, oh, Esther. Of course, he also said, what a babe. Come on in. Come on in. She comes in. She touches the head of the scepter. And he says, what do you want? Anything up to half the kingdom. That's typical showing off for all kings, by the way. They don't mean it literally. Anything up to half the kingdom, you can have it. All I want, honey, is for you and your favorite vizier, Haman... To come to dinner. Okay, we'll be there. Puts on a big dinner. What's your request at the end of dinner? What's your request, Esther? I just want you to come to dinner again tomorrow night, would you? Sure. Second night, feasting, good wine, lots of good entertainment. What do you want? Save me and my people. This wicked Haman has arranged things to kill us all. What? The king realizes, by the way, some of these kings were not the most self-controlled individuals. He goes into a rage. He marches out of the room. This is the best part. Haman knows he's a dead duck. He falls on his knees in front of Esther. He's grabbing her legs like, please show me mercy. And the king walks back in while he's grabbing her. And he goes, what? Putting the moves on the queen? Take him out. Before he could even do anything, they covered his face. You know what that means? They put a hood over his head. You know what was coming? He's gone. And the king says, okay, what can we do? We can't change the law of the Medes and the Persians, but we can make a new law that says every Jew can arm himself and defend himself. He does it, and they win. And the children of Israel avenge themselves on their enemies, and they escape. And so Purim is celebrated every year. It's almost like Christmas. They give gifts to each other. uh, They have a feast together. And they give alms to the poor. It's a celebratory time because of the great deliverance that God brought about through this sweet Jewish girl. Who ended up in the right place at the right time, even though it really looked like the wrong place at the wrong time. Maybe you've been through some wrong places. But God can bring you into the right place. And the thing that's cool about Esther is she gets it right. I realize this is the moment I have to rise to the occasion and I have to make a decision. And I'm going to go to the one who strengthens us, who can give me wisdom and ask for his help, God. And he does profoundly rescue her. Let me move this this day had friends that put a song together this day is our day this is the day we were made for I don't know what the issue is for you it could be big it could be small I'll give an illustration of how a person can make a choice to be kind of like Esther in the moment of truth if you will because I'm not here by accident and there's something that he wants to accomplish in my life. Every one of us as believers it may be a tiny thing. It may be a family issue. It may be the need of your son or your daughter who are wayward from Christ to see something turned around in their life that you're being called to step up to the plate. I don't know what it is. Only you do. And it might not be today. It may be a year from now. But when it comes, the per- person to repair to is Jesus. J. Oswald Sander, that great spiritual leader, I love his book, Spiritual Leadership, he made a statement that has stuck with me forever. In anything resembling a crisis, the man or woman who really knows needs to be alone with God. In anything resembling a crisis, the man or woman who really knows needs to be alone with God. He's the one I need to talk to first to get my marching orders. I remember years ago, and I this has probably happened more than once, and I'm going to have the details wrong, but this is a true story, and it's probably happened multiple times. A couple who had decided they were going to get married, this is not any commentary for Sarah and Kishan, okay, not at all. And everything about their getting ready for this marriage was saying something's wrong, something's wrong, something's wrong. I don't remember what it was, I don't know, remember whether it was Believer, non-believer, whether there were marks that were indicating this is an absolutely impossible fit, this is going to be a disaster. I don't remember, but there was something wrong, and they knew it. But all the plans were made. You know what it's like. You got all the you got the date, you got the venue. You know how it is these days. You know, father of the bride. You <laughs> That's, that's getting married. There's a wedding is a whole different thing. You know, there's a wedding and it's all lined up and all the guests are invited and they've already bought gifts and they've had showers like, we're committed here. Anybody know what I'm talking about? We're committed. And the day of this sense of dread comes on these people who I think were believers. They were believers, no question. We're doing the wrong thing here. We're doing the wrong thing. What do you do? Well, we can't back out now. Oh, yes, you can. Oh, yes, you can. Well, I wouldn't. That's on you. They did. You know what they did? They had their party, they let everybody come. They had everybody in there as though they were going to get married. They got up front and said, let us explain to you how God has been dealing with us and how we blew it. And let me tell you, their audience never forgot the lesson they got that morning. They said, we don't want to sin before God. We want to do the right thing. So we're not getting married today. And we're going to have a big party that we're not getting married Some people, I don't know, <laughs> I'm not quite sure why you're laughing. <laughs> yeah, that would have been, anyway. Because they chose to honor God in the, it didn't matter how much money they spent. Didn't matter what was at stake. Didn't matter how embarrassing it might be. Didn't matter. If I perish, I perish. Doesn't matter. Do the right thing. That's what they chose. Let me show you a verse that I love. And then we'll go. The eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth, that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. When Esther casts herself on the mercy of God, she's holding back nothing. It's like, if I perish, I perish. I'm the one that has to rise to the occasion at this moment. I'm casting myself on your mercy. If you bail me out, that'd be awesome, but if not, so be it. That's how I have to come to him many times. If you bail me out, great. If you don't, this is what I know is right. I want to honor you. I want to please you. Help me in the name of Jesus. And he does. So I'm going to ask you to stand. Oh, no, I don't want you all to stand. I want all the women in the room to stand. I didn't forget. All the women. If you can. If you're uh, indisposed in any way, you can stay seated. Our ushers aren't going to take note and write it down and I just want to pray for us today. Let's pray together. Well, you say, God, according to the New Testament, that we are also living in exile. We're wanderers and strangers in this world. And Lord, by your mercy and your grace, you've allowed almost all of us To be able to settle down and have homes and jobs and find some pleasantness in this world of exile that we're living in until we go to be with you. In this crazy world of exile, it seems, God, that uh, many of us have gotten the short end. And Lord, I am praying today especially for our precious sisters That, Lord, you have called to nobility. That you have called to such a time as this. Lord, you are the one who uh, we need. You are the one who brought us into being. Male and female, he created them. In the image of God, he made them. And that means both of us represent, represent the God who made us. So, Lord Jesus, I'm praying today that Every one of us, and every every girl, every daughter, every woman who belongs to you today, and those who perhaps do not yet belong to you, would feel and sense your love and care and value that you have placed on us. You loved us so much; you sent your son to die for us. I pray, God, and in these these days of confusion, that we would embrace that we would we would actually exude the reality that the creator gave us good gifts male and female that gender is a good gift of one to the other and even though mankind has made a mess of it and abused it and broken it in so many ways god you are the one who is able to restore You're the one who is able to heal. You're the one who is able to bring clarity. You're the one who is able to put your finger on this time and this place. And that I'm not a castaway. That I am carefully placed here. And that there is goodness ahead for me as your child. And as your daughter today, I pray for your grace. Grant healing. Today is a hard day for some. I pray for your ministering grace in the souls of our sisters. And those who are rejoicing today, we rejoice with them. Thank you for those of us who have had great mother connections. Those of us who have been wounded, Lord, help us to get through to the healing side of it. And Lord, we're asking in Jesus' name for your favor, to raise up your daughters as strong, dynamic, overcomers, In this generation especially, we need overcomers, prevailing prayer, prevailing and purposeful. I know where I'm going. I know who I am. I know who my Father has made me, and that it would shine out in the darkness, because we have it all around us. But thank you for your light, and thank you for your love for us. And I pray, Father, for your uh, children today as we go out into the world celebrating or even some of us grieving, that your favor would rest on us this very day. Lord, put your angels around your people. Keep us, we ask. In the great name of Jesus, we pray these things, and all of God's people said, amen, amen. God bless you, and have a great afternoon.